Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Welcome, welcome, welcome to an all-new episode of Geek Vibes Live Interview. I'm your host, Jawan, and today we will be talking to the writer and director of the new hit film, Capone, Josh Trank. Uh, we're going to be talking his career, and we're going to be talking, obviously, his new uh, project, Capone, uh, and what it was like working with Tom Hardy. Uh, he should be calling in in any moment, but um, I'm really, really, really excited to talk to Josh Trank. I've been a huge fan of his since his first uh, big movie. Um, I, I really have liked uh Josh Trank's vision, both from where he first started with his movies to where he uh, ended up with Capone. I actually got a chance to see the screen of Capone. I really, really, really enjoyed it. He did an amazing job. Uh, and I think Josh Trank doesn't get enough credit for uh, being very, you know, much of a visionary. Uh, this is a great project. I think we got them on now. Let's see. Hello? Hey, the long-awaited. Yes, yes, yes. Super Hello? excited, super excited. Hey, yes. can you hear me? here we are. Sorry for the delay, man. No, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, I did the whole opening and everything, so you called just at the perfect time. Uh, <laughs> okay, So cool. I'm really excited about that. But um, welcome to uh, Geek Vibes Live interview. Uh, I am super excited to have you on. Um, I was just talking about how much I enjoyed uh, Capone. I actually got to check it out uh, yesterday. Um, very, very, very good movie. Um, so I'll kick this right off. Question to you is: um, You wrote and directed this. Um, what were some of the, the? What did you find to be more struggling, uh, directing it or writing it? I don't. I don't know if it's. I don't know if. Uh, it, it, I could really quantify like uh the experience as like uh you know based off of a like struggle um and as far as just you know the creative challenges that come from writing or directing as they're both very separate processes um I mean there's you know there's more uh while you're directing, sometimes you're doing some rewriting and revisions while that's going on. So there's sometimes a little bit of writing that comes with directing while you're in the moment. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really think of struggle. I mean, struggle it comes with like when you're, um, if you have a writer's block or something like that, you know, or right. if, uh, and that's something that. You know, I, I personally, I'm able to overcome by just forcing myself to just keep writing without worrying if I feel like I'm onto the right thing. Um, or like a struggle I can think of if you're directing would be um, trying to figure out uh, how to make certain schedules work, right? Um, right? I was very fortunate on this movie. I mean, with... The writing of the, with the writing of the script, um, the idea came to me very organically out of just my own life experience from, you know, this extremely disastrous uh, uh, movie that I was involved with, The Fantastic Four. Um, I was 
just in my own sort of vegetative state, sitting in my backyard a few months after the movie came out, no incoming calls, uh, very much in eerie silence, with nothing really to do or to look forward to other than reflect and disappointment about, you know, all all of the ways in which I I had you know, accomplished all of my dreams. I was involved with all of my biggest dream projects. And then through my own doing in a lot of ways, um, uh, you know, it all fell apart and I, I lost it all. I, 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 you know, it was, it, it all ended as terribly as one could ever imagine. I mean, as, as quickly as I, as my success was almost as quick as, it fell apart, you know, five years later. So I'm sitting in the backyard and, you know, I'm just, you know, at one point I just started to think about stories that I already knew for years about Al Capone after he was released from Alcatraz, sitting in his own backyard, puffing on a cigar at the end of his actual life where there was nothing left for him to do and nothing for him to conquer and no dreams for him to aspire to. Um, And being haunted by these traumatic memories of his glory days and where everything went wrong. So I felt this sort of connection there in just a small way. And I stepped inside of that. And as I began writing and imagining, okay, what would it feel like for Al Capone in that place in his life to flip on the radio and hear a radio play about Al Capone and the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. What, what what would that make him feel? And I felt strongly that he'd feel fear. He'd feel afraid of that. And it's just all these things that I just, I felt very alive in, in the process of writing that script. So I never hit any artistic or creative struggles while writing it. It just kind of kept coming out of me. So every time you're writing a script, it's a different experience. With this particular script, it wasn't, there wasn't a struggle. If anything, it was coming, it was writing my way out of a, a personal life struggle that I was going through. So if I were to say like, what would have been the struggle for in writing this, it was not the creative aspect. It was where I was at in my life was the struggle. Um, And then once, you know, I finished the script, I didn't have any actors in mind. I just let myself go wild with what was on the page. It was very clear to me that Tom Hardy would obviously be the only person to play such such a character in such a movie because of all, all the various tones at play and the dark humor involved and the wackiness of it and the fact that you know on page it's not it's not a biopic it's not a um it's not a prestige movie it's kind of this wacky you know sometimes falling into b-movie elements and weirdness and it's just it's its own kind of a thing and and it's the kind of movie i'd want to watch um so I finished it, and the script itself clicked with a lot of uh, a, a lot of people. Um, my representatives loved it, and I started working with these two producers. They passed it off to Tom Hardy's agent. Tom Hardy's agent read it and felt strongly that Tom would respond to the material, and so he sent Tom the script right away. Um, Tom read it the next day, and the next day after that, I got a call from Tom Hardy, and we were on the phone for over six hours just. He connected. He loved the script. We both 
I like weirdly had the same kind of creative minds. We were both, you know, had the same sense of humor. We both found ourselves afraid of the same ideas. And by that, I mean, like, just what, what is scary? What's, what scares us? And, and just these ideas that we knew we both like felt we were coming from the same place together. It was just immediate. So that, that part is so, so much simpler than I could have ever imagined. Um, and then I went out to London and spent about a week and a half hanging with him. And it was just perfect combination, perfect, you know, partnership on that, on that level. So we were, you know, we, we had about a good year and a half before we would go into pre-production because it's, you know, one thing about our business is it's really, um, schedules are, uh, very hard to, uh, fall into alignment when you've got all these extremely talented, busy professionals working on all sorts of different things to just get everybody's schedules at the same time for the same project. And during that time, he and I just had a lot of time to just ruminate and discuss. And he'd send me voice notes of, you know, voice ideas, and we just had fun with it. Um, so I had a lot of time for prep before I actually got to Louisiana for production. Like I was saying, it was about a, a year and a half, maybe a little less than a year and a half. And in about the last four months before I hit the ground for our eight weeks of pre-production, um, I spent that time working every single day with my storyboard artist, Troy Morgan, and with my assistant, who's our associate producer on the film, John Ferry, in creating basically this five, 600 page long um, production Bible that included uh, hundreds and hundreds of pages of extremely um, uh, extremely specific storyboards, uh, frame by frame, um, tons of overhead diagrams, which I always love to draw um, to just as, as basically a, a communication tool to all of my department heads so that my production designer, my cinematographer, and um, my costume designer, and just everybody who I'm going to be collaborating with so they can have a living, breathing document at their disposal so that when if, you know, for instance, we're all running around in pre-production and I'm, uh, you know, and as a director, you're always moving in tons of different, tons of different, um, uh, you're being pulled in tons of different places to, to get a lot of stuff done in a short amount of time. So they, your people you're collaborating with don't always have uh, FaceTime with you when they need it. So for them to have right. essentially a very thorough document to, um, uh, bury themselves in when they're not uh, able to sit down with me. It just, it's, I find it to be extremely helpful. And, and, you know, the question is, well, you know, if you're being that precise and that overly prepared before you actually hit the ground, does that leave any room for everybody else to, um, uh, you know, put their creative input into? And the answer is that it's more so because it's a collaborative document. It's a collaborative document for everybody to go, oh, okay, well, I know what's inside the director's head. And that's what is the hardest thing for a lot of people working on a movie is to figure out exactly what the director wants so that they can contribute back to it. Um, so that was very helpful. And once, once we got there, um, I mean, it was absolutely the smoothest pre-production experience I've ever been a part of as, as either a director or anything else. 
So the the experience of pre-production on the movie was um, there was almost hilariously no struggle involved whatsoever. Um, and like I was uh, indicating uh, earlier in what I was saying about like well, what kind of struggles come with directing, and it mainly has to do with you know hopefully if there's not like all kinds of craziness and crazy people and crazy things happening, if it's going the way it should, which on this it absolutely was, uh, your struggles are logistical, scheduling, things like that. So we had about a 36-day schedule to shoot the movie, which, you know, obviously it would be great to have 10 more days tacked onto a schedule like that for the kind of script that we were shooting. But that's what you have, and that's what, you know, most movies are used to shooting um, are, you know, just a little less time than you would want, which is actually, by the way, something really interesting that's worth sort of, I don't know, looking in, you know, looking up and looking into for, for your audience when you think about shooting schedules on movies and history. Uh, the Graduate had over 100 days of shooting, and that, you know, it's a drama. Um, and, you know, by today's standards, over 100 days of shooting, that's reserved for big special effects movies and movies that cost over $100 million. And today, you're lucky if you get you know, 30 days or less to shoot a drama. Um, so when you look at those movies from the 70s and the 60s and the 50s with all these Jack Nicholson and Al Pacino and Dustin Hoffman and all these actors, just try to remember that they had, they, they could spend an entire week on one scene. It's very interesting. But anyway, back to the tone. Um, while we were shooting the movie, there was really no, there was no struggle beyond the basic concept of, you know, making all of the logistics work and making sure that we were staying within the confines of our budget and getting the most value out of um, all the elements that we required to make the movie. Um, so fortunately on this movie, there wasn't any kind of a struggle that I, I, I could, I can pull from and be like, Oh, well that was hard. It was, it wasn't hard at all. It was it was long. It was challenge, challenging because you know it's in that it's long days. Sometimes last twenty hours or more. We had we had one day where we went over twenty four hours, and I usually find that that happens at least once in a production anyway. Um, and right. those just are very surreal experiences when you're there with everybody after hour twenty four, and you're all kind of looking at each other like, "Whoa, we're still here," um, but. Yeah, it was just it was we had a we had a blast making this movie and um everybody was on the same page. Everybody felt like they were all just making everybody was making the same movie and they all were excited by the idea of making this movie in this way. I you know, I know a lot of a lot of movie crews, um, you know, who I always like to refer to as everybody's you know, if everybody on a movie set is a filmmaker and filmmakers on, on crews, they tend to work on a lot of movies where um, they're reusing certain ideas that they've had, you know, have done in other movies and certain conventions that just become sort of commonplace in the, um, you know, experience of working on one movie and then jumping to the next and jumping to the next. But I know that this was a movie that created a somewhat unique, uh, creative. Um, uh, just creative endeavor for everybody to engage with that felt like 
oh, this is a chance for me to sort of do something a little bit different. So it was, it was, it was uniquely energizing in a way, and you could really feel that. So I'm glad you said that because I that's one thing I, I want people to, to truly understand about, uh, you know, your filmmaking is how creative you are. Uh, I have in my notes here after seeing the uh, the screener last night. One thing I definitely want to make sure I praise you for is how original this felt. Um, to where when you look through oh, the history you, of Al Capone movies, absolutely. When you look through the history of Al Capone movies, it always is the rise of Al Capone. Al Capone in his prime. No one ever thinks about the actor uh, because everyone kind of feels like the actor really doesn't matter. Um, but the way you did this made it matter. Like, I, I wanted to know more about it. I started asking my grandfather, like, hey, what do you know about, uh, you know, the, the fallout of Al Capone and everything like that? Um, and to me, the great storytelling that you did and the great job you and Tom were able to do with this movie, um, I think it will then now spark conversation for the after. Um, because as much as we glorify the before, uh, like I said, your storytelling made it so much more appealing to the idea of what happened after. What did he do after, um, you know, before he died? Like, what happened? Um, and that, to me, blew me away because, you know, you're to me, I feel like I put you in the same box I put Ryan Johnson in uh, to where I'm like, you guys are some of the, the greatest uh, original content creators when it comes to movies um, that I've seen in a oh, really no, long time. Oh, no, thank you. I mean, well, Ryan is, Ryan's a god to me. Like, I love Ryan. He's somebody. He's somebody who was a huge inspiration to me when I was really young, but I, I, I appreciate that. But I mean, Ryan is like, I don't know if you've seen, have you seen Brick? Yes. Mm-hmm. His first movie, Brick. Oh my God. That movie is so incredible and so original and there's no movie like it. Just a teenage, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a teenage drama, teenage thriller about drug dealers in, uh, you know, Orange County in the suburbs, and yet everybody is talking in a very distinct 1940s uh, lingo. And it's like, it's totally weird, but it works, and it's so brilliant and cinematic. Like, he's just, Ryan is, I, I just, I look up to him um, in but so see, many ways. How you, how you feel about that is how a lot of, people my my age and my generation feel about chronicle uh it's one of the movies that got me into wanting to to write and and wanting to you know to look at directing um you inspired a lot of people with chronicle um that movie is at the apex of what people think of uh just great original concept filmmaking uh, to where it's not like, like, I haven't seen Thank anything you. like Chronicle before it. I haven't seen anything like Chronicle after it. Um, that was so unique and so original. So what you view Ryan as, we view you as. Um, so, you know, oh, I just wanted to let that, you know Chronicle inspired no a lot of people. That is. I, that's very touching. I, I'm speechless to that. And all I can say is that, you know, to me, the most important thing is, whether whether I'm on the right track or the wrong track and as far as, you know, mass appeal, right? Like uh, I've been thinking a lot about how Chronicle, there was a, a, a large mass appeal factor to that that was not necessarily intended on my part because when I view that movie, I mainly, I, I mainly think about the darker elements of child abuse 
and um, right. bullying and a lot of the darker things that are more ugly and uncomfortable. Um, but out of that came this wish fulfillment and these sequences that I, I think just felt so universally relatable to a lot of people in ways that um, was, you know, like sort of a, a byproduct of, of you know, ideas that started from a very sort of dark and frightening place. Um, and, you know, I made it the way that I did because I knew that the, there was an experiment, even though it was a commercial film too, there's an experimentation of, there's an experimentation in Chronicle in the filmmaking where, you know, it's it stays rigidly strict to the aesthetic of this is all going to be coming out of a a subjective camera perspective and how that camera is a character in and of itself and how that can't that camera style will evolve with this character's own sense of self awareness from Dane DeHaan's character. And you know, so that being a part of it, it's like that's not if you're gonna go shoot a movie, even like a lot of found footage movies, there were a lot of ideas and stylistic uh concepts that came into play from scene to scene um that aren't like that's not that's not like something that you're going to carry with you to another movie and be like oh we'll do it like chronicle because you know it's so specific to that story it was organic to that story so like the way with i think with uh you know with capone there were so many elements of this movie that only uh, stylistically and thematically and how everything connects with each other that only makes sense for this movie and i know that for myself, the way that I grew up self-educating on cinema and the filmography of directors who I looked up to and, you know, the modern directors of my childhood, such as, you know, Dan Boyle and uh, Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Kevin Smith, Paul Thomas Anderson, um, you know, Joe Joe Carnahan. These are, I, I was looking at everybody and just thinking like, okay, what, if I'm to break down what it is that they're doing in each one of these people, each one of these filmmakers, they were doing something extremely specific that if you were paying close enough attention, you could, you could break down and study and, and understand. So while there's a lot of intricacy and minutia in what I'm talking about in all this stuff, I, I would just hope to assume that if I was as into it as I was, I know that like yourself and, and anybody in your audience and, you know, that just, there are a lot of minds out there that are thinking the same exact thing because we, what we're all connected by is our, our just deep, almost religious love for cinema. So right. uh, for me, there's nothing more gratifying to hear than any, when I, if I hear about anybody who's really looked at Chronicle or, you know, now looking at Capone and they're really thinking about like, well, what, what 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 about this movie uh you know makes it unique and what about it is like what's the thought process behind that because these are these are thoughts that are going to ultimately lead to you know people like yourself and everybody else picking up cameras and make creating their own stories and thinking about things with that that level of uh you know detail and passion I do have to ask you before I let you go because you gotta go. Uh, I do want to ask you. My audience would kill me if I didn't ask you this. Um, say what you sure. can. If you can't say much, I understand. Uh, there were reports that your name was attached to uh, possibly a Green Lantern project. Is there any truth to those uh, those rumors? 
there was. There was there was a report a <laughs> I, while that, ago. I've never even that. Really? Yeah. So I, I'm I was, that I was there's, expecting there's you to say. That's funny. I was expecting you to say like Boba Fett or, um, just or like to ask some another question about Fantastic Four or something. But no, I mean I, I don't even. Is that Warner Brothers? Yeah, it would be because it's DC. Yeah. Um. No, I've never. The first I've ever heard of it. So is I'll ask you this then: Is there any interest in a DC character? Um, is there any DC character you are interested in uh, directing? Nothing that like nothing that comes to, to my mind, just because it's you know I, I like I was saying before, like when you know the way the way that I try to think of stuff, like if I'm going to do something that is based on a comic book or something like that it's going to have to come from, it's going to have to be something that doesn't have any DNA of the pro, of the project that I've done before that or before that, you know? So, right. I mean, no, it's just, nothing really comes to mind. That's not to say I'd rule anything out in the future if it made sense or if it, the, you know, producers of such a project or studio thought like, okay, cause you know, I mean, like there's, I, I, it's hard for me to know because I've been very much inside of my own world since Fantastic Four fell apart. I mean, Capone was, you know, we had a budget, we had a great budget on Capone, but it wasn't by any means like a typical studio movie. It was just more of like an independent film with a, with a good budget. Um, so I haven't been doing those rounds with the studios. And I mean, I would only imagine that there's still a, you know, a bit of a stigma because of, you know, the Fantastic Four and just, like, all that bad press that was still there. And, you know, I feel like I probably still need to make a few more things in the movie space that would make sense and maybe click in the right way before I would imagine a studio uh, thinking, like, hey, you know what, Josh Trank would be, like, this would be great, Josh Trank, and the fans will love it. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. so I don't know. But, like, I just try, I try to keep an open mind because – you know, while I, while I am somebody that is, uh, I wake up in the morning and I think and like, you know, I've got these like parameters and, you know, ways that I try to like do things. Uh, if there is one big lesson I've learned in my life, it's like, you just got to always keep an open mind because you never know uh, what a great, uh, you know, experience may um, lie in the future. I mean, it's, it's as much for me about connecting with the right people creatively and collaboratively as it is anything. Um, so, you know, for instance, like, you know, if we're talking about DC or Warner brothers, like, you know, it's, it's not about me saying I'm going to rule out superhero movies or anything like that, but it's, it's about, okay, if I'm going to engage on something like that, I have to be the right fit for them and they have to be the right fit for me so that we will have a healthy creative process together. That's what everybody would want. You know, nobody wants to feel like they're going to work or they're going to, you know, um, uh, be involved in something where in the back of their mind, they're trying to figure out, okay, how do I like sway, you know, the, my, my partners in this project to understand that it needs to be this when they think it's that, like that, that's counterproductive. So, you know, I, we, I, I've honestly, I've, I've never heard the Green Lantern thing. That's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, and that's not obviously. Look, 
if there was, I'd say it. But like, I, I don't have anything to hide. But like, I don't know. That's 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 pretty funny. Where did that come from? Like message boards or something? Uh, it was, it was no, it was on one of those uh, one of those sites that had like a short list of directors that at the time was uh, apparently floating around Warner Brothers, kind of like. Uh, you know, they had an eye on, and your name was like. Kind oh, of like, okay. You you know what yeah. you know what the thing is with those, and and maybe it's a good thing to to know just for like you know in terms of like being able to read between the lines with those things, or it's like this is a bit of insidery stuff, right? So, you know, whenever there's a, a project that's in some sort of a development, that's in some sort of stage of early development at a studio where it's in the hands of uh, the studio executives and maybe the producers that are involved with it, they oftentimes they'll come up with, um, you know, a long list of potential directors to talk to or potential actors. And most of the time, like, I mean, I could be on, you know, I mean, there, there could be a lot of lists that I could be on or might not be on, but I, I would never know about it because it's, it, you know, they're, just because you're on a list, they're not reaching out to you. It's usually they're just coming up with a list, and sometimes those lists get emailed out to assistants, and then sometimes, you know, those people get those emails, and they're like, oh, you know, but, like, I wouldn't read too heavily into, like, if you find out there's somebody's, a director is on a list for something, it it, it never really means anything. Um, mm-hmm. That That's why. But, like, again, I understand that it's good for it's good for clicks because it generates interest. Like, right. oh, so-and-so could possibly do this. But behind the scenes, it, just know that it, it, it's usually like, wait, huh? You know, like, wait, what, <laughs> really? Oh, I don't know. That's the first <laughs> I've heard of it. Um, I mean, I certainly haven't gotten a call from my agent being like, hey, do you want to, do you want to talk to so-and-so about Green Lantern? That would be I – would, I would remember that call. <laughs> No, definitely. And before we both get in trouble, I'm gonna let you go, Josh. I want to thank you so much. Oh uh, man, uh, Capone oh, a pleasure. is thank a you. masterpiece, absolutely. And thank you again for uh, for definitely oh, motivating no. a lot thank of us you. up and coming writers and directors. Well, be- best of luck to you. I look forward to hearing more from you and everybody else. And it's just that you know, I'm I'm really, really, really touched. Just everything that you're saying it means a lot to me just on a, on a on a very deeply personal level so thank you so much for um for you taking the time to talk to me as well i appreciate that absolutely i hope to have you again soon so we can talk longer i got a lot of stuff i'd love to pick your brain about totally we'll 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 be we'll be in touch and we'll figure it out for uh you know future near future date that would be awesome sounds great thank you josh and you enjoy the rest of your week You too. Talk soon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.